Well, life can be pretty boring sometimes, can't it? We kind of wake up, we get dressed, we have breakfast, maybe we eat the same thing. Maybe we have a shower. If we're a year eight boy, maybe we have a shower once a week. I'm just kidding, guys. Then we go to school. Seriously. But when we go to school... We kind of try to pay attention, we learn some stuff, we generally forget about that, that the next day. We go home, we try and do a bit of homework, we watch a bit of Netflix, we go back to sleep, we wake up the next day, rinse and repeat day after day. And we do that for like 13 years. Um, and then we go to TAFE, we go to uni, we kind of do something a bit, bit similar except we don't have to wear a uniform. And then we get a job and we kind of work for 40 years. Life, it just kind of seems a bit boring. It can kind of seem a little bit like just watching the snail just kind of crawl across that wooden plank there. But what about as a Christian? As a Christian, is the Christian life boring? Is the Christian life like that snail, like watching that snail? See, the passage that Millie read tonight, it kind of seems a bit boring, like, you know, way more lame than our life. You've got a bunch of people living a couple of thousand years ago, no technology, wandering around the sand in the desert, but no beaches. They're just wandering around, and they don't even have meat to eat. Like, how boring does that sound? And here's the big question I want to look at tonight. Is the Christian life boring? I'm going to pray, I'm going to ask for God's help, and then we're going to get into it. Uh, Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you that it is good and that you do speak to it, you speak from it. Uh, Father, I pray tonight that you'd help me not be boring, but you'd help us to look at this question tonight. Help us to listen really well, and I pray that our lives will be changed by it. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, hands up, hands up who loves maths. Hands up who loves maths. Yeah, about, about 15 of you. That's cool. Well, we're looking at the book of Numbers. Look at the book of Numbers. So you guys, you guys are in for a treat, but for the other 200 of us, this kind of sounds pretty lame, pretty boring. So Mike, you're not really convincing me so far, are you? Well, actually, you know what the original title was for Numbers? The original title is something way cooler, I reckon, In the Wilderness. In the Wilderness. That's a, that's a way cooler name. It's called that because it's this book of Numbers, which we're actually going to look at this term, is this incredible camping story where a couple of million of God's people are going on this crazy, this crazy story from Mount Sinai to the Promised Land. And just quickly, how does it fit into God's story? Remember this guy, Abraham? Remember Abraham? So he got three promises. This is back in Genesis 12. He, he was given three promises by God. Does anyone remember what they are? People, place, and blessing. Yeah, or land, family, and blessing. Yeah, if you've done Scripture in primary school, you might remember that. Yeah, land, family, and blessing. This guy, Abraham, he was given this prom- these promises by God that he took him up to this place where he could see modern-day Israel, Cain, he's like, all this land's going to be yours. Look up to the sky, count the stars, you're going to have more descendants, more grandchildren, more great-great-great-grandchildren than there are, you can count stars in the sky. And actually, the whole world is going to be blessed through your family. Pretty incredible promises. And so this guy, Abraham, he's an old guy, he has a son, Isaac, who has a son, Jacob. Um, And then Jacob, he gets renamed Israel. He gets renamed Israel. He gets into a wrestle with God. God kind of pops his hip out just with his little finger, which is pretty crazy. And um, and then Jacob has 12 12 sons, which are the 12 tribes of Israel, the 12 leaders of Israel. And Joseph is one of the sons. He gets sold into slavery by his jerk brothers. And then he he ends up going to um, 
to Egypt, and he kind of, through God's providence, he becomes basically prime minister of Egypt, which is pretty incredible. And then um, God's, uh, sorry, Abraham's descendants, Jacob, Joseph's kind of 11 brothers, or his 11 brosifs for short, they kind of go off to, they go off to Egypt when there's a famine, and they, they kind of, they need some help. So they're out of God's promised land, back in Egypt. Things are going pretty well for a while, but then there's this jerk Pharaoh who kind of forgets the previous Pharaoh, and he, and he basically treats God's people like dirt, and, they tr- and God's people keep growing. See, the promises of people, they, they start growing. And it says in Exodus 1 that God's people became really numerous. They started to outnumber the Egyptians. And so the Pharaoh, he tried to, he was basically like an ancient Hitler. He tried to basically eradicate them. He, he worked them in a prison camp um, until they'd basically, you know, just couldn't do anything. He'd, he'd whip them. They had extremely hard, hard conditions. Um, and then he'd kill the babies, the firstborn baby boys. He'd throw them into the river. Except for this one guy, Moses, who, um, who snuck out, who, who secretly um, was brought in into the royal family by Pharaoh's daughter. He, he raised up, you know it's Moses because he's got the stick. That's how you, that's how you can tell. Um, and so he, um, he was actually, grew up in the royal family, even though he's one of God's people in, in Egypt. And he was called by God to go and set his people free out of Egypt into the promised land. And then, he didn't want to do it, so he tried to get his brother Aaron to do it, but God said, no, you're doing it anyway. And so eventually he did it, and, and this is where we kind of, this, this is almost where we get up to a number. So, so God, he's, he's called Moses to set um, his people out of Egypt into the promised land, and so they're wandering, they're wandering through the wilderness, and he's part of the Red Sea, he's given the Ten Commandments, that's all in Exodus. They're wandering through the wilderness on what should just be a two-week journey. I think we've got a picture of, of basically of how long it should have taken. Yeah, so, so, this is, so they're going from Mount Sinai, where the Ten Commandments are given, all the way up to the Promised Land, Canaan. I was on Google Maps today, and I kind of Googled how long it should have taken. And um, if you can see that, it's about 55-hour walk, that journey. So it's not actually not that long. Um, maybe the roads weren't quite as good you know, 3,000 years ago as they are today. But it should have taken back then, they reckon, about two weeks, this journey. And yet, they're wandering around in the wilderness for 40 years. And that's what this book of Numbers is about, this, this journey. This journey where they're in the wilderness for 40 years. But it's a pretty incredible journey. Along the way, we see a talking donkey, which is, which is pretty crazy, kind of like Shrek. Uh, we, also see, um, we also see other things like, like this snake attack, and, and people nearly get poisoned to death because of these snakes. We see spies they kind of sneak into the promised land and they see these like massive dudes and they get freaked out. So there's a whole bunch of really crazy things that happen, which I'm excited to look at uh, in this term. But I'm going to pray. Um, I get, have I already prayed? I'm going to pray again just because this is an incredible book, incredible journey, and we're going to get into it. We're going to look at this big question, is the Christian life lame? Let me pray again. Dear Lord, thank you so much for your word and that it's good. And I just pray for just, I need help tonight um, because this is a massive question. And um, just be with me. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so um, so where are we? Okay, so, so the question we're looking at tonight, um, is the Christian life boring? Is the Christian life boring? So let's open back up to Numbers 11. Um, Numbers 11. And so let's look at verse 1. Now the people complained about their hardships in the hearing of the Lord. And when he heard... When he heard them, his anger was aroused. 
Then fire from the Lord burn among them and consume some of the outskirts of the camp. So what's happening? So, so people are complaining. They're complaining. They've been on this journey for not that long, for only about a year, even though it should have only taken a couple of weeks. And they're complaining about that it's really hard. They're complaining. See, they've been set free from Egypt, from when they've been under, in this prison camp, almost like North Korea is today. Like It's pretty crazy. And they're complaining. They're wishing that they could be back there. But when God heard them, his anger was aroused. Fire from the Lord burn among them and consume some of the outskirts of the camp. See, God, he's flexing his muscles a little bit. He sends this fire down. He burns a few tents just around the outside of the camp. So people freak out and they cry out to Moses in verse 2. And look, look at what Moses does. Have a read. He prays to the Lord and the fire dies down. See, God, he's done so much for them. He's been so good to them. These people up until now have, have turned away from him. They've worshipped things like a golden calf instead of, instead of God. They've turned to other gods, cheated on him. See, God, he could have destroyed them. But actually, he listened to Moses' prayer and the fire stopped. And so you'd think the people now would get the point. You know, this is the God who sent plagues to Egypt. The God who part of the Red Sea has done a whole bunch of crazy things. Let's read on. Verse 4. The rabble, which were kind of the crew chilling at the back that weren't part of the 12 tribes, they began to crave other food. And the Israelites started wailing. And they said, If only we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt at no cost. Also the cucumbers, melons, leeks, onions, garlic. But now we've lost our appetite. We never see anything but this manna. So the Christian life, it kind of seems a bit boring here. I mean, you know, kind of fair enough for these guys to complain with God. I mean, it's a pretty boring situation they're in. I mean, they're, they're God's people, the Israelites. They've been in the desert for like a year, and all they can see is, is manna, which is bread. I mean, that's what they've been eating for months. So is the Christian life boring? Well, here's the first thing they should have done, and it's a lesson for us today. I've got two points tonight. The first thing is they should have remembered that they've been rescued. And we need to remember that we've been rescued as well. So these guys, they've got warped memories. You know, they were living in prison camps, having their baby boys killed. Perhaps even worse than North Korea is today, if you know much about what's going on there. I mean, things, they used to be so good, right, for these guys. It's ridiculous. I mean, who cares if you get to eat a bit of fish and cucumber? Like, it's crazy. I mean, they were actually back then, they were hating it. They were actually crying out to God in Egypt, crying out for a saviour. I mean, imagine if you're in North Korea, right? Imagine if you're in like a prison camp and, you know, and, and you kind of get some, you know, some nice um, you know, cucumber and fish sandwiches every night. You know, like that would be okay. But then, then accept the fact that you're in North Korea and you're in a prison camp and like you've, you're... you're you're suffering from you know, getting beaten, from being worked 20 hours a day. All kinds of incredible, crazy things are happening in North Korea right now. But imagine if, if some people come to free you, and you come out on a boat to Australia, to the central coast, and you're like, sweet, I'm going to the central coast. This is going to be awesome. The journey takes a little bit longer. Um, you're out in the waves, and all they've got is porridge to eat. Like, you're saying, oh man, I wish I was back in North Korea eating cucumber and fish sandwiches because all I've got now is porridge. That'd be ridiculous. You're on the way to Australia, on the way out of North Korea under the dictatorship of Kim Jong-un. 
Like that would be a stupid thing to say. I wish I was back in North Korea. That's what these guys are thinking. They wish they were back in Egypt under the slave dictatorship of Pharaoh who was killing baby boys, throwing them into the river. It's a ridiculous thing. They've forgotten just what they've been rescued from. But for today, we've actually been rescued as well. I mean, it's a different type of rescue for us today. We've been rescued from slavery, but from the slavery of sin. Check out um, these verses in Romans 6. It should pop up. It says, For we know that our old self was crucified with Jesus, so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin, because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. See, everyone is born under this slavery to sin. People are born selfish. Sin controls them. You know, we tell little lies or we steal or we make ourselves look better in front of others or we try and get approval from others or look lustfully at men or women or, or on the internet. You know, these things, they control us. And actually, the Bible says, lead to death. But Jesus, he's come and he was crucified. He was killed so that our old selfish self that's under the slavery of sin was also crucified, was also died. See, Jesus died so that our old selfish self can die as well, so that we can be set free from sin. So some of us might be tempted to think that being a Christian is boring. I mean, I used to have so much fun before. When I, you know, before I was a Christian, I'd party. You know, I could just you know, be jerks to the, the guys at school, whatever it was. Like I didn't have to you know, listen to people. Things used to be so much more fun when I was a, before I was a Christian. You know, the crew, my old friends, they were so much cooler than my Christian friends. Whatever it was. But guys, you're under slavery. Slavery of sin. You know, I was away last weekend with, um, with some mates. And we were sitting by this fire from about 4 p.m. to 11 at night. It was awesome. And you know the cool thing about fire? Once it kind of gets going, you can just chuck more and more stuff in and it just keeps going. It's awesome. Like a fire. It's just got this never-ending appetite. See, our desires, our selfish desires are a little bit like a fire. It doesn't matter how much we give them. They'll keep burning. We think, if only I get a boyfriend or a girlfriend, I'll be happy. You know, if only I you know, have a bit more food, or if only I can you know, play this one more game, or get a bit more money, or have another outfit, or if only people look at me a certain way, then I'll be happy. And that's the lie, though, that the world tells us. You've been set free. I mean, don't get me wrong. These things, they're not bad things. You know, a lot of them are good things. But you don't have to keep doing these things, keep desiring these things at all costs to get approval from others, to be happy. Because God, the God of the universe, has given you His seal of approval. Doesn't that excite you? That The God of the universe has set you free. Has set you free. We can call Him Father, Papa, Dad. I mean, not just now though, but for eternity, for the next trillion years. And then some more. If you feel like the Christian life is boring, remind yourself of that. Remind each other of that, that we've been set free from slavery. We've been rescued, just like God's people were rescued from Egypt under this dictator, Pharaoh. We've been rescued from the slavery of sin. Here's the second thing. The second thing is that God 
gives us the grains for our gains. I'll explain this one. God gives us the grains for our gains. See, back then, in Numbers, God provided for His people. Go back to Numbers 11, verse 6. You know, the people, they're crying out for meat and veg. This is what they say. Now we've lost our appetite. And we never see anything but this manna. They've lost their appetite. They're sick of eating manna. What is this manna, by the way? Well, keep reading, verse 7. The manna was like coriander seed and looked like resin. The people went around gathering it and then ground it to a hand mill or crushed it in a mortar. They cooked it in a pot or made it into loaves, and it tasted like something made with olive oil. Actually, that kind of sounds pretty fancy. I mean, you go to like a fancy Italian restaurant, they give you bread and olive oil, and it's kind of pretty good. I think these guys aren't doing too badly. In fact, in Psalm 78, it should pop up, which is written um, a couple hundred years after Numbers. It says that God rained down manna for the people to eat. He gave them the grain of heaven. Human beings ate the bread of angels. He sent them all the food that they could eat. He sent them all the food that they could eat. See, God, this is what he did, right? God kind of made it rain. He made it rain. (laughs) He made it rain. I don't know, it's just red. Oh, it's pretty. (laughs) Two more, two more. So excited about bread. Who wants it? All right. All right, settle down, guys. (laughs) So God made it rain. He made it rain bread. He made made it rain manna. But it wasn't just this, it wasn't just this like ordinary bread. It was like fairy bread. It was not just like angel bread, Psalm 78 says. Angel bread. And he actually sent them all the food they can eat. And actually, a few months before, God actually, he, he, he didn't just give them bread, but he gave them quail. He gave them, I don't know if you guys have had quail before. Who's had quail before? A few people have had quail. It's kind of like mini chicken, it's, but it's like better. It's, pretty, it's awesome. It's more tender. I recommend getting quail if you get the chance to. But, but so, so God's people that actually had, they had a bunch of meat. In fact, they even had livestock. They had cows and they had... Um, lambs and sheep, and they could have actually had meat whenever they wanted to. But here's the issue. They, the bread they had, it wasn't just kind of, you know, Cole's white rolls that I chucked you guys that's, you know, high in gluten and other things. But the, the, the bread that they had actually was bread from heaven that God had given them. He gave them to them every day. They could wake up and there'd be bread there every day, except Sunday, they just, on Saturday, they'd grab a couple of extra portions so they could just chill out, have a rest on the Sabbath. But so God actually gave them everything they needed so that they'd be sustained. But instead of, but the grains, instead of um, leading to their gains, they led to God's people groaning. They were whinging again. Just after he sent down fire, burning the edges of the campsite. So God actually judges them again after their groaning, but in a surprising way. God actually gives them what they want. Check out verse 18 in Numbers 11. We didn't read this bit. Listen up. God says, verse 18 to Moses, Tell the people, consecrate yourself, which just means kind of prepare yourself, set yourself apart in preparation for tomorrow, where you'll eat meat. Sounds pretty good. The Lord heard when you wailed. If only we had meat to eat. We were better off in Egypt. 
Now the Lord will give you meat and you will eat it. You will not just eat it for one day or two days or five or ten or twenty, but a whole month until it comes out of your nostrils and you loathe it because you've rejected the Lord who is among you and have wailed before him saying, why do we ever leave Egypt? Because the people, they thought that God's plan was dumb. They thought they should go back to Egypt under a dictator. And they were rejecting God. So what does God do? He gives them so much meat that it comes out their nostrils. I don't know if anyone's seen meat come out of nostrils before. I haven't. I saw there was this girl in year three, I remember, she, she vomited pineapple chunks out of her nose. Pineapple chunks. I didn't know that was possible. It was pretty cruel. But I've never seen anyone, I've never seen quail. I don't know if anyone's seen quail come out of someone's nose. It's pretty incredible. So God, God makes it rain again. God makes it rain again. But this time, this time not with, not with grain, but with, with chicken. <laughs> For those of you who missed out, they actually don't sell McBites anymore. So that's potato gems. Anyway, potato, no, anyway, potato McBites. So anyway, but God makes it rain quail. And so there's quail everywhere. There's quail everywhere in the land. And it's like a meter high. Imagine just walking around and just seeing like quail, like a meter high everywhere. Pretty crazy. Pretty crazy. And so come down to verse 32. At that night and all that day and night, and all the next day, the people went out and gathered quail like for a kind of couple of days. And no one gathered less than 10 homers. It's more than 10 homers Simpsons worth. It's like a couple hundred kilos. And then they spread, out, they spread them out all around the camp. So everyone gathered quail and they, they just started going nuts. They were eating. They were going crazy. But look what happened, verse 33. But while the meat was still between their teeth and before it could be consumed, the anger of the Lord burned against the people and he struck them down with a severe plague. Actually, the thing they wanted, the thing these guys desperately wanted, the thing that they rejected God and, and they kind of wanted to go back to, the thing they asked for got them sick. Maybe they ate the quail before it was cooked and kind of got salmonella poisoning. I don't know. Maybe they overate. I'm not sure. But God allowed them to what they wanted, even though he was already providing for what they needed. It's kind of a bit like, who's seen uh, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory or Willy Wonka? Yeah, it's kind of like Augustus Gloop. Remember that? You know, he kind of, you know, in that, there's that sweet room where everything's edible. And then Augustus like kind of goes into the, the chocolate lake and he kind of starts drinking and he kind of falls in and, and, and he kind of, he basically like, <laughs> he basically drowns in this river of chocolate and he kind of gets sucked up this pipe and because he's so fat that he like gets stuck, it's kind of funny. But um, it's kind of like what happened there. These guys, they wanted, what they wanted actually, God allowed them to have and that actually was a form of judgment. God actually judged them by giving them, handing them over to their desires. In Matthew 6 and Matthew 7, we're reminded actually that Jesus has given us everything we need. Jesus tells us how to pray, that we should ask God to provide for us because he's our Father. God said, Jesus says that God, he clothes the lilies in the field and, the, and he gives, gives the birds food. He provides for them. How much more does he care about us? Because we're his kids. 
See, God loves us. He cares for us. He provides for us. We've got a song that we sing sometimes at youth um, that reminds us of, of how Jesus tells us to pray in the Lord's Prayer. And he says, give to us our daily bread. What he's saying is that we should ask God to provide for our daily needs, our daily bread, you know, our food, our clothing, our shelter. But we live in a place where we don't really think about that kind of stuff because it just kind of happens. And so often, you know, as Aussies, as Coasties, we, we think we don't really need God to provide these things. But let me ask you this, like, was it your choice to be born into the, your family that you were born in? To be born into a middle-class Aussie family where all these things are, are provided for you? Or was it your choice last night when you went to sleep to keep your heart beating? Did you think you have any control over that? No, God, God sustains us. God gives us every second of life that we have. And so we start forgetting, though, that God does give us these things. And instead, we should be thanking Him for what He's given us. And I know a bunch of you guys do that. But let me ask you this. like, When was the last time that you thank God for these things that seem really basic? For your heartbeat, for bread, for food, for water, for the place you live in, for the school you go to, for electricity? When was the last time you thanked God for all these things? And so when we stop thanking God, we start grumbling like the Israelites did. And we start comparing ourselves to others or perhaps comparing ourselves to a past situation. And life, it seems boring. We forget just how much of a miracle it is that we're even alive at all. You know, if you stretch your, your human cell DNA out, it would go to the moon and back thousands of times. God made that. God made you. We forget just how much of a privilege it is to be living on the coast. But actually, the real great, the real thing that God gives us, that gives us gains, is actually more important. The real grain that gives us gains is more important. Come with me to, to John. Flick over to John chapter 6 in the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, kind of towards the back of the Bible. And I'll wrap up with this. So, more than, so John chapter 6, verse 48. More than a thousand years, this is more than a thousand years after um, God has provided for his people back in Numbers. He's given them bread, given them manna every day that sustains them. This is a similar episode, similar episode where Jesus in the wilderness has fed 5,000 people uh, who are hungry just with a few loaves and some fish. And yet the people were still grumbling. And this is what he says, verse 48, he says, I am the bread of life. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Your ancestors, they ate manna in the wilderness, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. I am the living bread that comes down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. See, the whole Old Testament, the whole Old Testament points towards Jesus. Jesus, he is the bread of life. He's the true manna, the true grain that we get for our spiritual gains. The bread that the Israelites got, that sustained them. And they lived off for 40 years. They shouldn't have been wandering for 40 years. But because of sin, God judged them and they, they didn't get in there. The two-week journey took 40 years. But Jesus, he will sustain us forever. And so what do we need to do? We'll flick back to verse 27 of John 6. He says, Do not work for food that spoils but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. 
So don't work for food that spoils. But what should we do? Well, keep, um, keep reading in verse 29. Jesus said, the work of God is this. This is what you have to do. This is how you get to heaven. The work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. We need to believe in the one that God has sent. We need to believe in Jesus. And friends, if we focused on Jesus, if our trust was in Jesus, we'll be focusing not just in here and now, but on eternity. I used to, um, in my old church um, back in Sydney, I used to help run this kind of church service for, for homeless people called Bread of Life. And there's, there's a photo of, we call them companions, the photo of a couple of companions. And it was a good time. We had breakfast every, every Sunday morning. And we had a Bible study afterwards as well, kind of like a G team. And here was our motto that we had. Our motto was food for today, food for eternity. Because it's not just enough to feed people physically. God says that he'll provide for his people physically, and sometimes he chooses to use us to help others, which is awesome. But actually, what's really important is food for eternity. Jesus, he is the bread of life that will sustain us for eternity. Jesus will give you the gains for days, the forever, for eternity. And so, guys, can I ask you, do you trust Jesus with your life? Are you feeding from his word regularly? When you look around at others and you see them having more fun, are you grumbling? Or are you okay with that? Because you know what you've been rescued from. And you know that God is sustaining you. Because your hope is not in this world, but your hope is in eternity with Jesus, with the creator of the universe. You know those three promises that God gives Abraham? land, family, and blessing, or people, place, and blessing. They're actually for us as well. See, in heaven, that's our place. That's our promised land where we'll get to be with us, with God's people who trust, everyone who trusts in Jesus from, from all the way from eternity past, from when God made the world. We'll be with them, with God's people, His family, with millions and millions and millions and millions of others. And we're blessed. We're blessed by the God of the universe. That's going to be incredible. And so, guys, are you going to, when the Christian life seems boring, do you have that incredible perspective that we're on this crazy adventure, this adventure that goes not just till this life, but we need to strap ourselves on for eternity?